Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Lisa Stone and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 10 of the Parenting Aces Podcast, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I am your host, Lisa Stone, and we are going to be talking about junior tennis, junior tennis tournaments, and mental health this week. And I'm really excited to have my guest, Gary Poon, join us from the Matt Stevenson Junior Tennis Tournaments. And I'm going to bring Gary on in a few minutes. He's got an incredible story of his own junior tennis journey and how he got involved and started the Matt Stevenson series of events that are going on right now. So uh, we'll be sharing some links Obviously, we'll have show notes with links there, too. And for those of you listening to the audio version of the podcast, if you'd like to watch the video version, please go to ParentingAces.com or the Parenting Aces YouTube channel, where you can find the video versions of all of our episodes, season one through season 10. We got them all for you. Before I bring Gary on, just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, we'd love to have you join us as a premium member of ParentingAces.com. And for those of you who are interested, we have a new Parenting Aces Ambassador Program, which you can find out about on our website. There is a link on the homepage to click and get more information there. We always love to spread the good word about Parenting Aces and help tennis parents around the globe have a better journey with their children as they go through junior and college tennis. So if you're interested in joining our ambassador program, we'd love to have you all sorts of cool perks involved with that and uh, check that out. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment. Every time they see it, blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. All right. Without further ado, let me bring Gary on. And there he is. Gary Poon, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Lisa. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So we've had a few technical things going on trying to get this going today, but I'm really excited to have you. You are in this professional sound studio. I'm really jealous, I got to say. Yeah, so I want to thank my friend Joshua for letting me have uh, the access to the studio. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. And you're coming at us from D.C. area or are you in New York right now? I'm still in New York. I'm in Manhattan right now. Okay, very cool, very cool. So to start, Gary, why don't you give us a little bit of your tennis story, how you got started playing, and what junior tennis was like for you? Sure. So I was born in Hong Kong, and I started playing tennis as as far back as I could remember. I always had either a ping pong paddle or a tennis racket in my hand. Uh, And so I started there first hitting against the wall. And uh, then, um, and my father played tennis too, so I used to watch him play doubles. He had a wicked backhand volley, which was amazing. And the courts that we grew up on were the European red clay. Um, Nice. Yeah, so to get started, I started hitting against the wall. And then then he would sometimes take me out and and practice. But then when he wasn't there, um, I would, uh, I got the, the bright idea that um, I had a cousin who was also taking some lessons and he would swing and miss the ball. So I got the bright (laughs) idea that I would stand behind him. So whenever he missed the ball, I would hit it back to his dad. I love it. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I was, I was maybe six, seven years old and 
Uh, I don't think maybe I didn't realize that that's probably made him feel pretty bad. So I want to now, <laughs> I want to now publicly apologize to him if I made him yeah. feel bad. So, but, but it helped his dad because then he didn't have to pick up all the balls. <laughs> so that's, that's how right. I started. Yeah, I started in Hong Kong. And then I came over to the United States uh, when I was about eight years old. Uh, lived here in New York uh, on Long Island uh, with my dear aunt and uncle. And I continued playing tennis uh, in, first in Huntington. And then when I got to be about 12 or 13, and I was good enough uh, to be admitted to the Port Washington Tennis Academy uh, in Port Washington uh, in their junior tennis program, and then started uh, training. Uh, at one point, and this was back in the 70s, so uh, the great Harry Hotman was the yes. tennis director uh, as you know, he was the Davis Cup coach for all of the great Australian players, Rod Laver, Ken Rosewall, and so forth. And at one point, uh, the owner of the Port Washington Tennis Academy, uh, Mr. Heis Ausner, called my dad in to his office. And he said, and I happened to be playing right outside. And he said, look at your son. He's very fast. So we want to train him. Uh, Mr. Hotman once has asked, <laughs> asked you, See if he could train him to be okay. a freshman tennis player. And my dad said, Hang on one second, because we've got some dogs going crazy. I think there's a, a mail delivery happening here. Sure, so, no problem. Yeah, uh, oh, I think we got him quiet. Got it. So, so anyway, uh, so my dad said, well, thanks, but, but no thanks. Uh, I would like my son to have, you know, an education and go on to graduate school and so forth. Because... Being trained meant that I had to be pretty much be homeschooled or mm. that sort of thing. So my dad didn't want that. Uh, later on, when he told me that that was what happened, and I was about 13 years old, I just started crying. And I said, Aww. you said no to the great Harry Hotman? I mean, <laughs> do you know what that means? And he goes, you know, you know, it's very hard to make it up there. And mm. so go get an education. Enjoy tennis, you know, for the rest of your life. You will have that as a recreational sport. You're pretty good, so enjoy it. And, and I'd rather see you, you know, maybe have a profession. So many, many years later, I, see the, I saw the wisdom of what he was saying. And I went on to become a lawyer myself, following his footsteps, and then had my career and then played tennis recreationally throughout my adult life. That's a great story. Yeah, and I, I love and that. I still, yeah, and I still play competitively now. I, I did lay off the game for a period of about 15 years or so. Mm. I switched over to golf uh, because I wanted to spend time with my dad. And, so the, and, and he had switched from tennis to golf. Uh, and it was a nice time to kind of spend time with him on the golf course, you know, side by side on the, car, uh, on the cart um, and did that. So, um, yeah. That was really basically my story. That's a lovely and I came story. Back to it. And then I yeah. came back to it, to tennis. Uh, you don't really leave tennis at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, for people that aren't familiar with Port Washington, it's got a storied history, right? Lots of amazing players have come through that facility. Yes. Yeah, so the, the time I was there, uh, John McEnroe was, was certainly – the number one player at our at the academy, um, and when he reached the the quarterfinals, I believe of Wimbledon, it was a big deal. He was only yeah. 17, 18 years old, and the whole academy was was watching and and following his progress through Wimbledon. So that and was I think didn't Mary Carrillo come through there too? Mary Carrillo was there. Yeah, uh, it was just a a wonderful time in in my teenage years to hang out at the Port Washington Tennis Academy. We had uh, free cookies and lemonade and played get backgammon. And then you just play tennis yeah. um, and not a worry in the world, right? <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's, let's fast forward. Um, you are now involved with the Matt Stevenson Junior Tournament Series. Can you tell us a little bit about Matt, who he was, and why there is a series of junior events associated with his name and what the goal is of these events. Sure. Be happy to. 
So Matt Stevenson was a very close and dear friend of mine. Uh, we had met uh, back in uh, the Washington, D.C. area, McLean, Virginia, to be exact. Um, and at the time, I had just joined this club, um, McLean Racquet Club, and I, had, I was recovering from knee surgery. And, uh, and I, I didn't know anybody in the club, so I asked the uh, tennis, uh, head tennis pro, I said, I'd like to find people to play with. And he said, oh, I'll know the perfect uh, person that would be about your level. Uh, don't worry about the fact that he's only 16 or 17 years old, but he's, he's really <laughs> good. All right. I said, okay, fine. Uh, so we started playing once or twice a week. We were very even uh, at, at, at the time. But as, as he was getting bigger and, and more mature, getting taller, he started kicking my butt. So, uh, <laughs> So anyway, uh, but we continued to play, you know, once or twice a week, uh, tennis. And it was an indoor facility, so we could play throughout the winter. Um, at, at one point, uh, maybe when he was about 18 or 19 years old, uh, he opened up to me about uh, some of his mental health issues uh, that he was experiencing at the time. And... Um, and so I started uh, listening to a lot of what he was saying, and I, I didn't know much about, you know, some of the issues that he was talking about. But I learned. I, I tried to read up on the, on some of the uh, diagnoses that he had. Um, and so, as a result of these long talks, uh, we became uh, very good friends, even outside the tennis court. Um, so. Um, so fast forward about 15 or 16 years later, uh, unfortunately, the, the emotional pain was too much for him. And he took his own life in 2017 uh, at the age of 32. Mm. Um, and so one of, the, uh, one of his wishes was that, that I continue to help other young people as I had helped him uh, and to tell his story and uh, find a way to reach out to young people, uh, particularly those who may be suffering from things like depression or anxiety or mental illness, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, he has suggested that in his, one of his final notes was to say, maybe I can write a book uh, about that. Uh, and he was a lovely writer, a beautiful writer. Um, so he thought that was sort of a way to do it. I thought about it and, you know, it would be nice to write a book, but I, I thought maybe not too many people might pick up a book and read about, you know, his life and all that. Uh, but I thought a better way to reach out to kids was to, to, be, to go through uh, a sport that they love, like tennis, which I know a lot more about. So I had the idea of starting a junior tennis tournament in his honor. Uh, and by the way, he was also a junior tennis uh, pro. Uh, he had a wonderful program, both at McLean Racquet Club, as well as uh, uh, a Langley Swim and Tennis Club, which is a summer, summer community club. So he had built these junior programs from literally the ground up. And at the height of it, he had maybe 120, 150 students. And wow. he was well loved in the community. Uh, at his memorial service, uh, we had expected maybe 75 people. We had over 150 people, and it was standing room only out the door. Uh, and mm -hmm. that's how well loved he was. So junior tennis and uh, a tournament uh, in his honor seemed like a natural to then bring in the, the component about mental health issues, which I can go into some more about, you know, kind of the spirit and the mission of the tournament. Sure. And and I want to just say um, this is a link. I have it flashing on the screen now to the Matt Stevenson Junior Tennis Tournament. Uh, there's one more coming up next weekend in the Washington, D.C. area. There have already been two so far this year, but hopefully they'll be back next year. So even if you miss them this year, jot down the link. It will be in the show notes, too, for those of you listening on one of the podcast apps and you can't see it right this minute. Um, but make sure to check out the link. So, Gary, reaching young teenagers and discussing mental health issues, anxiety, depression, um, 
stress, all of these issues. And, and we've done several podcasts on this topic recently here at Parenting Aces. But it's very difficult to have those types of conversations with a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old. Um, maybe the older teens, 16, 17, 18, they're a little more open to having those conversations. But it's a big challenge, right, to get kids to open up and talk about the challenges that they're facing. That's, that's exactly right. And that's really why I th we thought that the, the tournament would be a good way to reach them in kind of a low-key way. So mm -hmm. I started this in 2019 in San Diego. And what we do, is, <laughs> on the surface, it looks like, it looked like just like any other junior tournament. The, what, what made it different is that we asked the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, or AFSP, to come and set up a table, right, literally right next to the tournament desk. Mm -hmm. And they have all sorts of materials there uh, that are age appropriate for the age group, say, between uh, age, as young as age 10 all the way to 18. Uh, there are tips on, for example, what signs to look for if you have depression or anxiety, uh, and, where, and most importantly, where to get help. Uh, there are lots of resources out there uh, that's available 24-7, it's free, it's confidential, uh, and it's reaching out to the kids that to say, hey, the, if you need help, there, there, is, there are resources available for you. Right. Um, and so having the table there and, and saying things about, you know, why mental health is important we're trying to, first of all, destigmatize the whole idea of mental Ill illness. Okay, And that's what I was getting ready to ask you about, because there is still such a stigma around it. And, you know, all summer we've been hearing from Naomi Osaka. We've heard from Coco Goff. We've, we've heard from athletes across all different sports, as well as leaders in different industries about mental health issues that, that they are having themselves, challenges that they've faced, and still that stigma is here. Right. It's going to take time. Uh, I mean, it's, it's sort of little baby steps. Mm -hmm. And our idea is that the more we kind of make it part of the conversation, just like we talk about physical illnesses, okay? You have a sprained ankle. You have tennis elbow or whatnot. You know, people don't hesitate to talk about that and say, we, right. need to, we need to bandage it up. You need to do something, right? But when it comes to mental illness, um, then people kind of shy away from that. So if we say, hey, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay if, if, if a star like Coco Golf or Naomi Osaka are playing tennis at the highest levels, and yet they're able to say that I'm suffering from long bouts of depression. That's what Naomi said, right? right. Or I feel anxious before I go on to a, to a match. Then the, the, the message to the kids is that, hey, it's okay to talk about that. They're all human beings, just like you are. So you don't have to feel alone. You don't have to feel like you're strange or somehow weird or, or abnormal or anything like that. So if, if these elite athletes can talk about it, so can you. And Absolutely. So, yeah, so we like to say we want to have it part of the conversation, whether it's on the tennis court, in the locker room, or simply around the kitchen table. If you want to talk to your parents, an adult, your coach, then you should be able to do it. And in fact, we even submit that mental health is even more... If, as important as physical health, if not even more important than that. Mm -hmm. uh, well, so. and I think I think one of the confusing issues, especially as it comes as it relates to junior tennis, is we talk a lot about mental toughness, mental strength, you know, yeah. and having mental coaches in tennis. Mental toughness is not the same thing as mental health. Right. These are two separate areas yeah. and they sometimes go hand in hand, but yeah. sometimes not. You can have a player who is very mentally tough on the court in the you know wake of competition who is struggling with mental health issues both on and off the tennis court. That's right. 
Uh, you are absolutely spot on. Uh, there's a, a we like to say uh, that mental toughness is what you do in competition. Mental health is what you want in life, and and like you said, they are related in the sense that if you have good mental health, it's going to help you be mentally tough on the tennis court because you can really focus, you know, on mm -hmm. the third set, and you know, and that tough deciding tiebreaker. Right. Right. If you don't have to worry about other things that are going on in your life, but mental toughness doesn't necessarily translate into mental health. Uh, and in fact, it may be sometimes sending the wrong message because kids might think if I can tough it out on the tennis court, then I can tough it out in life. Right. And that's not how it works. Right. As we all know, this is something that you need to deal with on a deeper level. Uh, in, in life, if you've got some issues, whether it's something that goes back to uh, an earlier childhood or some situation uh, that you're, you're fearful of, those things need to be addressed. Uh, it's not the same as mental toughness, for sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I want to also point out you're doing some work with Noah Rubin and my audience is familiar with Noah and his Behind the Racket project. And, um, and I think it's really important and kind of groundbreaking that tennis is embracing this notion of recognizing mental health as a key component of success in our sport and addressing it. We just had the Marty Fish documentary on Netflix. Um, for those listening to this, if you haven't had a chance to watch that documentary yet, I, I highly encourage you to do so. And if you have Older children, I'm not sure it's appropriate for a six, seven, eight-year-old to watch, but mm -hmm. certainly an older teen uh, should absolutely watch it and hear about Marty's struggles off the court and how that translated to his performance on the court. And maybe that will give you a clearer understanding of what Gary and I are talking about here. But um, this is, you know, it's it's anxiety, sure. It's, it's fear of performing badly or poorly, fear of letting down your coach or letting down your parents, that's part of it, but it also can go way deeper than that. And Gary, I think, you know, hearing you talk about Matt's experience and even the fact that he was discussing with you as a teenager, the challenges that he was facing, you know, and battling. And it sounds like you know, he had at least you as, as a strong adult to kind of help him work through some of these issues. But, you know, sadly, that wasn't enough in Matt's case. In your experience, and I, you're an attorney, you're not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, right? Um, but in your experience, going through Matt's difficulties with him, what are some things that you feel like coaches and parents should be on the lookout for in young players that may be dealing with some of these struggles? Yes, uh, right. And I do want to uh, emphasize that, um, yeah, I am not a psychologist or a therapist, and I wasn't trying to be his therapist. Right. Um, you were being his friend. It was being a friend, being uh, supportive emotionally. Uh, yes. And the the other important person in his life was his mom, uh, and uh, and she will be at the DC tournament because they still live in the oh. area. So between her and myself, and maybe some other closer friends of his, we were able to provide the emotional support uh, for him and encourage him to go to see therapists, which he did. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes sometimes uh, he may not. Sometimes he didn't like it, but it might medication might be to take the edge off of some of the anxiety mm -hmm. uh, and things of that sort, getting into more in-depth psychoanalysis with a therapist, uh, engaging in cognitive behavioral therapy and that sort of thing uh, were things that we encouraged him to do and was, were fully supportive of as well. Uh, and to answer your question, um, I think so. And, and the, I think the AFSP would be in the best position to, to, to say, to lay out all the signs of what to look for. But sure. generally speaking, 
you know, if a if a child or teenager is withdrawing, for example, from social activities um, or uh, acting a little bit strange, uh, strangely, a little bit outside the norm, for example, I think these are all kind of warning signs. Um, mm-hmm. And when you get to more extreme cases, when they start talking about, you know, uh, wanting to hurt themselves, um, then you really need to listen to them. Um, it, there's a, I, I've learned that uh, it, it's, it's a common misconception that, you know, people don't want to mention suicide and maybe a little plant for somehow plant the idea in their heads. Well, the research is just the opposite. It, you're not going to plant any ideas in their heads that they may, may already have, may not already have. Um, if you get it out in the open, actually they feel relieved that mm-hmm. at least we are at least acknowledging that there, there's that ideation in there. And we listen very carefully to why, whether they have a plan and all that, and get them, encourage them to get them help. And that's really the most important message also to the parents and coaches is that being supportive and listening very, very carefully uh, to what the child has to say is the most, probably the most important thing you can do. I mean, it's, it's like anything else, right? If your child comes to you and tells you their knee is sore, you're not going to just brush that off. You're going to you know, ask some questions, try to figure mm-hmm. out, you know, well, is it sore all the time? Or, you know, is it just flare up when you're in this circumstance and maybe we need to take you to a doctor and maybe we need an MRI or some other tests. It's the same thing if they come to you and say, I'm, I'm really nervous about this, or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm freezing up out there on the court. I'm not able to hit my strokes because I'm so stressed out. And, you know, a 12 year old may not have the ability to express it that clearly, but there are going to be signs of things that just aren't quite right. And we don't want to brush those things off. It's too important. Absolutely right. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So Gary, let's talk about the tournaments themselves. You said that, you know, they're there's information there on mental health for the players and I'm assuming for the parents and coaches as well, but what, what type of event is this? Is it a USTA event? Are the kids earning ranking points? What level of play, what age groups, all of that? Right, right. So all three uh, are USTA sanctioned events. So I'll start in San Diego because that's where we really kicked it off uh, first in I'm going to put the link oops not that one I'm going to put okay. the link back up there's okay. the right one <laughs> so uh, and if you click on that link uh, you'll see all the three tournaments that we have this year on there so I started as I mentioned I started this in 2019 in San Diego uh, and you know it was I was meant to be a small tournament I wasn't sure how many kids would come I would have been happy with 80 to 100 well, 145 kids signed up in our first year. Wow. And How did you choose San Diego as your first site? Because I live there. Ah, <laughs> so gotcha. it was right in my backyard. And, and the place that we uh, had it uh, is called Mountain View Sports and Racquet Club. Yeah. Uh, not the Mountain View up north, uh, but it's the Mountain View in, our San, in San Diego. Right. Uh, and they, they have a wonderful facility. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that later. But... Uh, they have a great outreach program, commitment to diversity, and I thought we would it would be a nice uh, place to start. Uh, I know the director there. Uh, so 145 kids showed up. Um, yeah. We had to get satellite courts at the local high school, and it was hugely successful. It got great comments uh, like, you know, great thing that you're using. Uh, you know, it's more than just about hitting the tennis ball back and forth. It's about getting, giving kids the tools that they need to succeed in life. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, 2020, we had to cancel it because of the pandemic. And then I took the time to think about, well, 2021, we're going to launch this as a series. So uh, starting in September of September 11th of this year, we relaunched it in San Diego at the same place, Mountain View. Uh, it was a three-day tournament, or two and a half day, I should say, because Monday you can't start before four o'clock for school. So two mm-hmm. and a half day tournament. 
level five, okay, we offer singles, doubles, and mixed doubles. Oh, so wow, mixed doubles. And mixed doubles. Now, unfortunately, not too many kids, uh, in fact, nobody signed up for mixed doubles. Oh. But that's okay. But that's okay. I, and, and, and I'll get to that in New York. Uh, New York is a different story. Uh, but we want to still offer it because we want to say it's there, it's available, and maybe as the tournament gets more and more well-known, kids will start signing up for the mixed doubles. Sure. Um, so then a week later, uh, September 17th, which is past weekend, um, we had the to same tournament here in New York at Flushing Meadows. Nice. Uh, and I, and I want to give a plug to the USTA Eastern uh, section They've been hugely supportive of doing this. Um, and we got, uh, we wanted the weekend right after the US, the finish of the US Open uh, at Flushing Meadows. These are the Flushing Meadows Corona Park, which is the practice courts for mm -hmm. the pros during the US Open. And I learned when I got there that uh, uh, Medvedev actually practiced on those courts. At, at some point during the U.S. Open. So, wow. so we told the kids that this is, these are the same courts that Medvedev, you know, the eventual champion, yeah. practiced on, and you're playing on these courts. Um, so, so that's happened to be a level six uh, uh, for, uh, for that tournament because I, was, I deferred to the USTA Eastern uh, on what level uh, this should be because they know mm -hmm. the market for the kids. I don't. Sure. So they had suggested level six here, which was fine. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we got 207 kids signed up. Wow. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I was told it was, it was by far the largest uh, tournament they had this year and one of the largest they've ever had at wow. Flushing Meadows Corona Park. Uh, and luckily they have, you know, many, many courts we were yes. able to accommodate. Plus, we even used uh, four additional courts for the uh, for the uh, consolation matches at Casino nice. Park, which mm -hmm. is was like eight eight or ten minutes by car away. Nice. Uh, we finished. Uh, we did most of the finals, some of the finals on Sunday evening, and then finished some of the finals on Monday. Uh, we got permission from the USDA to keep going uh, because technically you're supposed to stop on Sunday, but. Uh, I'm sorry, on, on Monday. So they, we got permission to keep going. So we have maybe one or two more final matches to, to play. Uh, and again, that's why I think USDA Eastern have been very supportive that, because they are able to, to accommodate that, knowing that 207 kids, uh, and we wanted to give kids you know, some rest time to be mm -hmm. able to play their best uh, for the final. So uh, did you accept everybody that applied? Is that how much. you got such a big yeah. group? <laughs> we, we accepted everybody. The most popular yeah. was the boys' 12. Uh, uh, we had a 64-person draw for that. Nice. Uh, which is really nice. So so now, um, in, uh, in a, let's see, next weekend now, uh, I've had able to, I'm able to wrestle a little bit. We'll be in Washington, D.C. for the third and final leg this uh, of this year for the series. So we're having the uh, tournament. It's a level five. Uh, at the uh, site of the city open, you know, oh, the nice. Fitzgerald Center. Yeah, so other people known as the uh, Rock Creek Tennis Center, 16th and Kennedy, if you're a local, uh, where they're located. But that's where they play the city open. Um, and it's the most, you know, it's like coming home because for Matt, he was from uh, McLean, which is outside of Washington, mm -hmm. D.C., and then his parents are still there. So they will be there. Uh, for the inauguration of the tournament in Washington, D.C. Now, That's lovely. A, that, now, this is another word about that tournament. We decided to do uh, doubles only uh, for that tournament to try something different. Uh, you know, the whole spirit of the tournament is about emotional support and teamwork and that sort of thing being centered. And so with singles, as you know, that you're on your own. Okay? Yeah. And but with doubles, you have a partner to talk to. So we thought, let's try a doubles-only tournament and see how that would work. So as of uh, around noontime today, we had 100, let me write, I jotted it down, 194 kids signed up already. 
the deadline is six o'clock today. So they've okay. got, you've got a few more hours, kids, to sign up. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so I think we're going to probably break 200 uh, 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 for that. So And all age groups available uh, there? It's going to be all age groups, boys, 12s, 14s, 16s, and 18s, double, single, uh, you know, gender uh, doubles, and then mixed doubles. Um, oh, both. Oh, nice. And both. So I, I want to circle back to here in New York. So yes. I was so, so pleased that kids actually did sign up for mixed doubles. Uh, so the only mixed doubles event that we didn't have was the uh, 18s, mixed 18s. We had the 12s, 14s, and 16s mixed doubles, uh, nice. which was wonderful because uh, we want to we encourage kids to play in the mixed doubles. Uh, so so kudos to New York kids uh, for signing up for the mixed doubles. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, you've got one more tournament to go this year, but I'm sure just reading about you and this event, you've already started planning for 2022. It, is this something that you feel like is going to grow series wise into more locations or do you think you're going to focus your resources on the three cities that you did this year? Right. That's a good question. And, and we're, we're discussing how best to do that. Uh, it is for sure that eventually we want to expand to other cities uh, because mental health is a national issue. Yeah. Uh, and we want to be able to bring this concept around the country. So truly have a series where the tournament will go around the country throughout the year. Uh, in terms of next year, I've been sort of playing in my mind whether or not we should maybe keep it at three for now because, you know, the old adage that it's better to do something well than to, to do too much and not do it well. Sure. So what we'll do is uh, when I get back to San Diego in October, you know, I'll regroup with all of the uh, tournament directors and, and people who organizers uh, in each of the cities and we'll sort of see what worked, what didn't work, what areas of improvements that we could make. I've already jotted a few notes down. Uh, take comments back from, from the surveys, from the parents, see what worked for them as well. Uh, I think we've had kids submit comments as well. So we wanna take everybody's comments, figure out what improvements we can make. And then if, if it's not too much, then we can expand next year. If, if we need to make more improvements, I'd rather spend the time to make these three sites, you know, the best possible tournaments before venturing out to expand to other cities. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. In addition to providing the information next to the tournament desk, how else are you kind of introducing this idea of mental health and support for mental health to the kids that are playing your events? Yes. So again, AFSP has these wonderful programs. Um, there are, it's called More Than Sad. Uh, and there they are two types of, uh, that they can uh, tailor depending on the audience. There's mm -hmm. sort of one program that are for parents, coaches, teachers, adults uh, mm -hmm. on what to look for and so forth. And then there's this another set of programs for basically teenagers, adolescents. And they can sign up for these programs. Uh, on site. While, on site. Okay. Uh, we can't have them, obviously, during the tournament because parents are more interested in watching the kids play. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, As they should so, be. As they should be. So yes. we would have a sign-up sheet. Uh, okay. And then have them, if you're interested, AFSP will put these programs on, you know, with COVID. It's all, a lot of it is on Zoom anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, post-COVID, uh, we will have, they will have also have them in person as well. So they can sign up for all these programs. There are walks uh, out of darkness uh, that are fundraisers for the AFSP. You know, again, getting people engaged in the conversation about mental health issues as well. And right. there was an interesting thing that the AFSP did here in New York, uh, which is that there was a message of hope. They put up a message board and, and spread out a bunch of post-its on the table and encouraged kids to write something encouraging. Uh, oh, to I love somebody, that. I love it. Uh, uh, to anybody, you know, they may not know the person, but just write something 
you know, hey, you're awesome. I just got uh, chills. Yeah, I do. I'm getting goosebumps <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I, we're going to get a picture of that. Uh, so it's, it's all filled by the end of the, towards the end of the tournament, all the whole messages were message boards was filled with post-its of all sorts of things. Uh, like, you know, you keep, keep on being awesome, you know, uh, and that sort of thing. You're beautiful, yeah. things like that. So, and they do gather these uh, post-its and, and would post and send them out and post them to other, other events so that, there's this sort of virtual communication between mm -hmm. and among the children. You know, again, getting people to, uh, kids to understand that it's really okay to talk about it. You know, I, I like to say we all are going to go through, you know, something at one point or another or several points in our lives. Yeah. Uh, it's this thing called life, right? And sometimes life de deals you with things that are disappointments, loss of a job. If, you know, when they grow up, loss of a job, loss of a spouse, or what have you. And we all kind of need a little bit of help. Um, there are, of course, extreme cases uh, in mental illness, and that, that can be dealt with. But for, for the vast majority of us, it's really about, you know, how do we get help before it gets too much, right. before, before the depression uh, becomes too much of, of something that they can't handle. These are the tools that we want to give them. Uh, and sure. that's really the idea of it. We know we teach them how to read. We teach them how to write, do math. But we also also want to give them the tools to succeed in life. And this is what this is all about as well. Right. And it's important to give the tools to the children, but also, again, to make sure that the adults in their lives understand warning signs, understand what it means to truly listen when a child comes to you with concerns mm -hmm. or um, just to say, you know, I'm having a bad day. I need somebody, I need a hug today, you know, and engaging with them around that instead of brushing it off or saying, I don't have time to deal with you right now on that. Right. right? It's, it's right. a big deal. Um, I know part of your tournament kind of setup is a fundraising piece. And can you talk a little bit about that, Gary? Sure. Uh, it's not the primary purpose. I mean, the primary purpose is the mental health piece. Uh, sure. But, but we run the tournament just like any other tournament in terms of the revenues coming in from the registration fees uh, and then the expenses, you know, the balls, uh, the rental court time sometimes where we have to get satellite courts and, and so on and so forth. And when we, if we have, once we have a, a net proceeds from the tournament, a net gain, that goes into the Matt Stevenson Jr. Tennis Fund. Uh, and you can flash that up right there. Yep. So the purpose of the fund uh, is really twofold. Uh, we support junior tennis programs uh, that are committed to diversity. Um, much of it uh, may be in low-income areas, so they would provide either free or subsidized uh, tennis lessons for kids in that area. Uh, okay. So, for example, we, here in New York, we funded the Kings County Tennis League uh, in Brooklyn. And what's actually very unique about them is that they actually go out to the in, uh, inner city projects. They find a basketball court or, you know, kind of a parking area, and they set up nets uh, nice. You know, tiny nets, use the, the orange balls and just have the kids sort of hit it back and forth. You know, we don't need to have paint lines or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And usually these recreational areas like a basketball court is kind of centralized in the inner city projects. So kids from the build up in the buildings will look down and say, oh, what's going on? And they come yeah. down and it's all free. Uh, to them, they says, come on and can join us. Uh, Love that. So we did that. Um, the fund also uh, uh, funded the Mount, Mountain View Sports and Racquet Club that I mentioned uh, mm -hmm. in terms of their junior program. What they do is if a kid gets uh, subsidized or free lunches at, at a school, then they, are, they qualify for free or subsidized lessons uh, oh, wow. at, at the facility. Uh, and, and we've donated rackets to them and so forth. So that comes out of the fund. Uh, and I can guarantee that every dollar that goes into the fund will go back to junior tennis. 
because my foundation, the Protostar Foundation, will underwrite all costs, all administrative costs. So legal fees, accountant fees, and even the 3% credit card fees that credit card companies charge when people yeah. donate. My, my, my foundation will, will cover all of that. So we guarantee that every dollar that goes in will go right back out to junior tennis. So they don't have to worry about, you know, uh, it's a fair question. Are they going to pay for my lunch, right? No, yeah, they're not yeah, going to yeah. pay for my lunch. Because uh, yeah. whatever that goes into the fund will go out, back out to junior tennis. Um, so that's and one why, why did you decide to funnel the money that way? Is this something that was important to Matt Stevenson to give access to the sport to anybody that wanted to have a chance to play? Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, you anticipated my answer. So before... <laughs> I've been doing this uh, a while. <laughs> yeah. So before he passed away, we actually talked about having this fund. Uh, obviously, I, well, I was, it wasn't going to be named after him at the time, but I wanted to fund, help, uh, help junior tennis programs and junior tennis players. That's, that's mm -hmm. the other aspect of the fund. The second part of the fund is... Uh, junior t promising junior tennis players in need of financial aid. Uh, if they're aspiring to be a, a, a professional or asking to go to a Division I school, they show promise. Uh, we set out very specific criteria for funding. And Matt helped me with that uh, mm -hmm. because he knows, you know, he knew juniors, he knew what we expected, and we shared uh, similar values. We're not, we didn't want just good tennis players. We also wanted wonderful human beings. So we want to make sure that not only are they good tennis players, but first of all, they do well in school. So mm -hmm. we set a minimum GPA of say 3.0, okay? They, mm -hmm. have to have, they have to show good sportsmanship on the tennis court. So we require recommendations from teachers and coaches, but also we will do our own independent uh, due diligence and ask around and see, you know, hey, is this, is this, you know, girl or boy, somebody who has consistently shown good sportsmanship on the tennis court, whether it's in competition or not, is this person helpful to others? Are, mm -hmm. they, are they kind? Are they willing to be giving? And so, so that sort of thing. So we set out these criteria on their website um, and, uh, and that was very important to him that we make tennis accessible to everybody, uh, no matter what the socioeconomic in, uh, background may be. Tennis is expensive. Uh, yes. You've got, you know, tennis lessons. If they're not subsidized, you have to pay for tennis lessons. But then when you, to get your ranking up, you have to, tr you have to travel, right? And right. if you're, you're, you're a young minor, you have to have an adult with you, whether it's a parent or a coach. So there's a lot of travel involved going, you know, certainly the entrance fees, you know, hotels and all that. So it's expensive, uh, not to mention the equipment, you know, where the way sure. they slide on the hard courts, you know, to wear out the sneakers yeah. in no time. Uh, and that's what I said. So we would provide financial aid uh, for kids uh, in that regard. So th to answer your question, that was very important to Matt because he was a very kind person and helped others uh, even while he was suffering inside. It's such a... Like my emotions are all over the place talking to you, Gary, about this because um, the story of Matt and him taking his own life is heart wrenching. And you know, I'm a mom. I have mm -hmm. a daughter the same age as mm -hmm. Matt was when mm -hmm. he took his life. Um, I, I can't even imagine what his parents have suffered since then, but. For him to have left a legacy like this is just beautiful and encouraging and hopeful. And, you know, that you have been able to kind of pick up where he wasn't able to continue on and further his legacy through these tournaments, through these subsidized tennis lessons and helping these players and helping these facilities is just absolutely amazing. And I'm so happy to be able to share what you're doing, but, but also to share Matt's story with the parenting aces community, because it's an important one. 
Yes, yes, it is. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's part of it is taking, you know, a tragic event uh, and turning into something more positive. Um, you know, uh, it was obviously devastating for his parents, myself, his friends to, to have lost him. But mm. now, you know, what do we do going forward? We want to take you know, that tragedy and turn it into something positive. And one of the things I like to say is that if we can make a positive difference in just one kid's life, it's worth all the effort yeah. we're putting into this. And we may never even know whether we made a positive right. difference, but it's still worth doing, of course, because I want to get the information out there. I want to make, you know, help make uh, destigmatize mental illness, help make it part of the conversation. And most importantly, to give kids the resources to get help if they need help. Um, and so that another family doesn't face the same tragedy. Um, uh, and if we can start, you know, reducing the suicide rates, uh, help people in, in deep depression, then it's, you know, all to the good. Yeah, absolutely. So, Gary, um, we're coming to the end of our hour here. It's gone by yeah. very quickly, but yeah. I, I like to leave our audience with something positive at the end, which you have done. But on top of that, um, if parents are looking for resources, if kids are looking for resources, if coaches are looking for resources, where is the best place for them to turn? Yeah, uh, I would, I would say first go to the American foundation for suicide prevention. Uh, it's for them. It's not just about preventing suicide, which is of course that's important, but they also have materials about, depression and anxiety. So I would go there. Uh, on the Protostar website, uh, at the end of the uh, discussion about the tournament, we give a link to uh, resources there. Uh, I think it's called Speaking of Suicide. Uh, and there are a bunch of links to other uh, organizations that, that right. provide information. So for example, the Trevor Project uh, for the LGBTQ community, for example, is listed as part of our resources. They are uh, targeted directly to the LGBTQ community, the teens, uh, and they do wonderful work. So we point them in that direction. Um, and so those are, you know, the resources to start. Uh, and I think the most important message to get to the, your audience is to say, get involved, you know, learn, yeah. learn, learn about it. Don't be afraid to ask questions. We're all in this together to coin a phrase, okay? Like I said, there's a thing called life that deals with us, you know, things that happen in life. And mm -hmm. so it's important to, to have information out there and to know where to go when you need help. Absolutely. And we will have links to all of the organizations that Gary mentioned. Uh, we'll have links to the tournament and to the fundraising arm of the Matt Stevenson Junior Tennis Tournament and project um, on ParentingAces.com in the show notes. Gary Poon, thank you so much for joining us. I wish you all the success next weekend at the DC event. And uh, when you're back in San Diego, we're going to need to connect. I'm only an hour up the road from you. And uh, I would love for Parenting Aces to get involved in your future events too. Great. Well, thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Thank, thanks yeah. for doing what you're doing. Thank you. And to my audience, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community. Thank you.